Welcome to the Healthcare Leadership Podcast, presented by Referral MD, your go-to resource for increasing practice efficiency and revenue. Each episode, we share tips, tricks, trends, and real stories from physicians and healthcare leaders, so you can hear what really works to grow and manage your practice. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone, to the Healthcare Leadership Podcast. We're happy you're joining us today. As always, I'm your host, John, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Jen. Great to be here, John. I'm excited for today. Yeah, I feel like uh, always I said that a lot already early on to start this episode, so we'll get right into it. So today we are really excited because we have a special guest with us today, as always, but this person brings a ton of expertise. So today we're actually joined by Christine Lapointe. She's actually one of the most experienced medical practice enhancement consultants in the space. She's been offering marketing consulting to practices since the 90s, which is fantastic. So Christine, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, we are really happy to have you here because we love talking with people in your field because it's all about practice growth, right? And how do we do practice enhancements and efficiencies? Um, And so your background is really in ophthalmology and aesthetic space, right? So you're known for providing systems and guidances to practice to effectively measure results and, you know, target key areas of revenue growth. Um, that sounds like a lot of our listeners could be interested in. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work and, and what you've been doing over the last few years? Well, you are correct. We were predominantly in ophthalmology. I started in laser vision correction many years ago um, and worked for medical device and private practice. Uh, and then we branched out into aesthetics, which was great because we were able to take a lot of the systems and processes that we used in laser vision correction, which was elective, and just translate that into aesthetics, um, it was very easy to just take that and move it over. And then we just started getting pulled back into ophthalmology and dermatology, especially since a lot of practices have been adding fee-for-service, um, fee, you know, any services that are elective to their practices now. So ophthalmology has a lot of that now. They're just expanding dermatology, plastics, aesthetics. They're all doing it. And so when you go into a practice and you're looking at, you know, key areas, right, and targeting them for growth, do you have any early tips for someone to, you know, if they're just looking to start on a project like this or looking at areas, do you give them what's kind of your hot buttons that you go into right away to say, hey, if you don't know anything, start with these couple of things? So that's a a great question. And the first thing I always look at is what has been done successfully in the practice, if, you know, we, we want to make sure we don't affect that and we want to see why it was successful. What did we do? How, how did it become successful? And is there more growth for that particular piece of the practice? Because we don't want to cause that to become stagnant. So we would definitely look at the things that are successful. And then the next thing I would tell you is to survey your patients and listen to them and see what it is that they need and they want. Because a lot of times the practices um, think, They know what the patient wants and they haven't surveyed them. So I would look at, you know, example, if you're an ophthalmology practice and you're already dealing with eyes, you could start with the eyes and expand from there, you know, start with Botox, maybe upper and lower lid, plastic surgery, the skincare around the face. But I would definitely survey the patients first and I would start small and grow. Don't try to do the whole thing at once. You know, John, I had a, an opportunity to work with Christine on a project a couple of years back with a really large ophthalmology practice. And I, what I was really taken back by is I think that, you know, sometimes we put 
so much thought and we make things more complicated than they need to be when we go in and try to fix something. Um, but she was really able to simplify that process. And so Christine, I was always blown away. Like, you know, it's customer service and like basic communication skills with our patients. And and sometimes, you know, like you'll have a team and there'll be one bad apple and, and you're not sure what's not vibing. And you were able to go in and make those changes. And then I will tell you, even to this date, like I meet with that ophthalmology practice all the time. And we hear that a lot of the things that you were able to put into place to just simplify, you know, like kind of their thinking has helped them exponentially grow over the years. And so, um, you know, especially your sales training, and the things that you did to help that practice identify those ancillaries and look for opportunities for growth made a big difference. And I think that, I mean, really just to kind of land it, I mean, for me, it was always like, we think, oh, I've got to fix my laser vision correction business, or I want more LASIK, or I want more knee surgery or whatever it is. But sometimes it's really simple, like taking a look at what your employees are saying on the phone or, you know, what that flow is. And I think having somebody come in, it's very helpful. I'm so uh, glad that I hear you say that because, you know, it always does, it does boil down to the engagement with the patient and the customer service. And it's really hard for people to grasp, but if you do not engage with your patients, you're, you just stopped at hello Mm -hmm. to move forward is, is, is useless. So um, that's great because we did work a lot on patient engagement and they were very, open to do that. And actually, um, they asked me to, to, to look at some of the pieces of the practice. And as I just said, some of those pieces is, were perfectly fine. So there wasn't anything to fix in some areas, just continue to grow. I think that's a great point. And I've seen that a lot. I've been in the patient engagement space now for over a little over a decade or right around a decade. And I remember signing up practices and, you know, a decade ago, it was all email. Now it's transitioned a lot to SMS, right? And text messaging. But, you know, a decade ago, it was really email driven. And it was really important when I would work with practices, we would sign up and they would have a patient panel of, let's say, 10,000 patients. And they would have 300 emails at most. And I'm like, okay, well, you can't communicate to 10,000 patients. You can communicate to 300. And so a lot of times I found myself, like you do, Christine, when you're going into the practice and you're coaching or you're training the frontline staff, and what's great, and I'll give a, just a tip, even though I'm not the expert on here, is like they would say, well, how, how can I get my staff to ask for emails? And I'd say, well, here's tip number one. Stop asking. <laughs> like, it's just part of your intake process. And say, hi, welcome to the practice. Like, we confirm all our appointments via email. What's your email? And if you notice, if you just stop asking, oh, can I have your email? And you just say, yeah, what's your email? Like, you get you know, a thousand times uh-huh. more. So I think it's little things like that. And I know, Christina, with your work, you do a ton of this working and coaching directly with the staff. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that process? Like how involved are you? What does that look like? Because let's say you've got a practice, they're executing everything well, right? Great procedures, great like medical clinical uh, care, but what about the staff and how do you work with them and how does that impact the, the practice's bottom line? So the same, the same things that affect patients also affect the staff and the doctors in the sense of uh, change, and there's fear, you know, fear of change. So anytime something uh, new or advanced is introduced into the practice, uh, lots of times the staff just go- goes into fear mode or, oh my gosh, this is going to be more work for me. So I, so I do a lot of training with the staff because it's so important for them to understand that they are key 
in the office as they're at the front line before the patient even gets to the doctor. And we have to identify who is able to do certain jobs. So this means when we do staff training, we look at some of the staff and say, okay, is this person even in the right role? Do they like what they're doing? Do we need to look internally or do we look externally? So that we do that and then we do staff training. And when we do the staff training, the people that are very excited usually are very evident in the training because they're just more engaged. And the people that seem to be really concerned or not as engaged, we, we can identify, okay, now we have to look to these people need one-on-one training. Are they in the role that they don't like? Can, you know, they've been here for a long time. You know, should we move them to another position or is it actually time to create new job descriptions and look for new people? That's really difficult for practices and they sometimes get stuck. So that is why I am constantly in in the middle of the training. We'll be right back after a quick word from me. Hey, listeners, it's John Ellis here, and I wanted to take a few seconds to tell you about our presenting sponsor, Referral MD. A fully cloud-based referral management solution, ReferralMD helps you manage your referral process like you never thought possible. In fact, ReferralMD clients reported an increase in referral conversion upwards of 25% since switching to the platform. But that's not all. Clients also increase operational efficiencies by 37% and reduce patient leakage by upwards of 65%. If any of those benefits sound good to you, and how could they not, We invite you to visit GetReferralMD.com forward slash offer to schedule your no-obligation tour of the ReferralMD software in action. Plus, as a thank you for being a listener to this podcast, you'll get 50%. That's 5-0 off your implementation fee. All you have to do to get that 50% savings is visit GetReferralMD.com forward slash offer and set up your product tour. And now, back to the show. Christine, are you seeing, have you seen a shift now um, as people I mean, have gone back to work and elective procedure restrictions have been lifted and things of that nature? Are you seeing a shift in what you're having to address at the practice level or is it really like it was a couple of years ago? Actually, this is super interesting. You asked me this question because about four years ago, I started telling all the practices we should do virtual consults. And they looked at me like I had three heads and (laughs) no one's going to do that. And we don't need to do that. And so now things have changed because we are doing virtual consults. So what I'm, what I'm doing now is teaching people how to engage more at the virtual level. And there's a lot to learn there because again, you know, we used to shake people's hands to welcome them into the practice. Hard to do that now, right? And we have a mask on. So what's changed is teaching people how to engage virtually and then teaching them how to stay engaged when they come in the practice. And I think that the practices are more open to that than they were before. Maybe because we pushed, they got pushed into it. Yeah, they were forced to it, right? Their hand was forced and it's, you know, everyone runs a little bit faster when they're chased by a bear. Right. So like they kind of go right into it. Now you talk about the staff and staff engagement. I, I would assume that that's a very big challenge. Do you ever run into it on the provider side? Do you have any providers saying this? I've always done it. I'm too busy. I can't do any more. I don't want to cross sell or anything. Do you ever run into that? 
Oh yeah, about 90% of the time. <laughs> well, but, you know, sometimes it's funny. They say we, I don't, the doctor will say, or the provider will say, we don't need that. But it's really not about what the provider may need. It's about what the patient needs. Yeah. And maybe, you know, for example, maybe your flow has picked up and you're seeing more patients in the office, but there's still a percentage of patients that still don't want to come into the practice or geographically it's too far or they have um, caretakers with them or people that make decisions with them and it could be so much better. So when I talk to them and ask them what I usually do if they're resistant is I ask them where they want to grow the business. And usually we work backwards from that and we look at what they're doing and we look at the acceptance rates or conversion rates. And then we back that out all the way into marketing and, and we go, okay, well, right now with your current flow, you're not going to be able to expand this growth. We need to change that. But if we change that, you might not physically have room in the practice right now. Hence comes the virtual consultations that can actually have you have a virtual office. So they do resist, but if you can you know, sit down and, and talk about their goals and then talk about the patient's goals. Yeah, we get around it. It's, it's, it's a long road. I don't know about you two. What do you two think about that? Do you run into do that? You think, do you think this, um, do you think the virtual consults will last? Do you think it'll be something that we'll be doing a couple of years from now? I think the successful people, the innovators, the people that will that think out of the box will do it. I think other people will get comfortable and they will go back to not doing it. And I think that's a shame because it just opens so many possibilities to have virtual appointments. So I, I think we're going to lose some of it. That's just my opinion. But I think the innovators, they'll stay with it. You know, John, it's, it's very reminiscent of the conversation we had with Dr. Mike Griway about yep. telemedicine. He was saying the same thing. If you're an early adopter and you stick with it, <laughs> Um, you're just going to separate yourself from the pack even further, you know, and it goes back to, I mean, you pay attention to it, Christine, like Seema Verna from CMS, you know, last year basically said like, when it comes to telemedicine and virtual consults, the genie's out of the bottle. So either get with the program or get out of the way because the patient's demanding it at this point, payers are getting in line and everybody else is getting in line. So either you adapt or, you know, you fall off you follow up whatever the cycle is for the next time around. So it's really interesting to hear your feedback on that. You know, even if you're not able to bill for that virtual appointment, there are benefits. Say, for example, pre and post-operative um, instructions can be done virtually. And I, I will guarantee you that someone will listen a lot better to what you have to say on their preoperative instructions when they're in the comfort of their home, less distraction, not watching what's going on in the office and not being rushed to the office. So where you may not be able to bill for something, you're still gaining a benefit. You're not hurting your patient flow. You're actually increasing your capacity to see people internally if you're seeing people virtually. Absolutely. And when you, when you look at that, what are, you know, I, I, I get the feeling that a lot of the providers and the groups don't like the term upselling, right? They may feel like they're at a fast food joint, right? Trying to upsell the large fries or the large soda, but it's key, right? I mean, that the cross-selling, the upselling, like that's key. Can you talk about some of the challenges, either ophthalmology practice or, I mean, any practice, right? That's doing this, but what are some of their hesitations? What are their challenges and how do you help them overcome those kinds of uh, apprehensions? 
You're right that that word upselling just, you know, people, their shoulders go up as soon as you say the word. So we have to, you know, get people to understand it's not a bad word. Sometimes we talk about educating, you know, I just tell them you're an educator, but now you need to educate people on some procedures that maybe are not medically necessary, but they would still want. And the way we have to teach people about that is to help them learn to listen so asking questions, asking lifestyle questions about patients, and then waiting and listening. I have a great acronym for listening that I got from another company, and it's called WAIT. Why am I talking? Which is what I teach people. So you ask a question, and you wait, and you wait for the answer. And then you learn more about that patient. So by the time you are done chatting with them, You've helped them, you've helped the patient learn or be educated how they can invest in themselves. Because upselling is really a patient giving themselves permission to spend money on themselves. And they need that validation. So it's really not upselling, but that's how we, you know, talk about it. I love it. I'm a big acronym guy, a huge acronyms. I love them. Um, I'm a big, big Favorite acronym is SCUBA. So I'll just throw that out there. That's a great um, acronym. Um, okay. When you talk about, um, you know, a lot of face-to-face training, obviously that was, I'm sure, impacted by COVID. Um, have you talked about what is COVID impacted, like with your training style? Like, are you able to do these virtually? Do you see the same type of engagement? What is, you know, how do you get a, a medical staff, right? That you had said maybe was already disengaged, right? I'm assuming it's a bit different to work with them directly in person. Can you still make a meaningful impact virtually when you're doing those type of staff and gaining engagement uh, engagements? And how does that look? That was an interesting thought I had in the beginning of COVID because we were doing these big boot camps in person, anywhere from 20 to 150 people. And I'm a real, you know, rah-rah. I love to get everybody involved in doing all kinds of group activities. So I was concerned, but you can actually still do group activities on Zoom. You can split out into Zoom rooms and do activities and come back. And um, I just keep them smaller. So they have changed. I don't like to do more than eight people on a Zoom training. And then we can also interact. We can do some of the same types of um, interactions or, or little games, you know, that we might play. And then we can separate them into Zoom rooms to do some projects and bring them back. So first I thought, you know, we're not going to be able to have the effect that we had in person, but I actually am feeling really good about the remote trainings. And also because it's easier to get the people together. They don't have to all be in the same room to be on the zoom with me. And so it can be after hours or, you know, someone can be from home or someone's in the office. So it's working out really well. I'm very happy with it. And it's much less costly to the practice to do the zooms. Oh, great. Yeah. That's a great impact, right. Of it's more economical for them to be able to get everyone together and they can likely do them faster. Right. Cause they don't have to coordinate a month out with PTO and things like that. And everyone can get on. Yeah, I would so, think it'd be much more, much less disruptive as well to the practice. You know, you can do something, you know, on a break, whereas, you know, the one that you and I did together, there were a couple hundred people in the room and they had to pay everybody on a Saturday to be there. It was yeah. a lot. Yeah. We're, you know, um, Training is so important. That's the other thing about when you asked me about increasing revenue. It's an ongoing 
piece, you can't just train someone once and think that everybody's trained. And we add people to the practice and people forget things. And so it needs to be repetitive. And by, you know, having the Zoom trainings, they're easy. We can have half hour, hour trainings, and they're easy to schedule. And the only cost is really just the time, that one hour. There's no expenses of flying somewhere or having to walk into the office. So it works really well. And I think uh, we see a, a better response. Oh, we're going to do another training with Christine. That's great. We liked the last one. So that's awesome. That's really great to hear. So we pride ourselves here on the show to give our listeners some actionable insights and advice that they can take away and distill down all this great information. So Christine, if you can break it down and offer one key piece of advice or one key takeaway for the listeners today, what would that be? Oh, come on. I wanted to have like another 20 minutes here. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would tell you, I use uh, this term, listen to learn. And I would make sure that your practice has a mechanism in place where patients' voices are heard because their participation is essential in the successful expansion of the practice. So survey your patients, find a way to hear their voice, however it is, and listen and learn what they need. That's really helpful. Yeah, it'd be, it's surprising how big of an impact just shutting up can make. Just be quiet, listen, listen with the intent to understand, and you'll see how far that, that takes you. So I think that's a great piece of advice. So we are greatly honored to have you on today. So thank you again for joining us. You shared a lot of great insights. We're happy to have you on. So uh, Jen, any last words? I would say um, wait was a big takeaway for me. Why am I talking? And um, I think that's great for everybody across the board. And it's really good, Christine, to hear that you're seeing success with virtual consults. And that we're all on this on the on the same you know on the same page. Patients want it. Sometimes doctors are a little apprehensive to it, but it's good to hear another expert say that it's here to stay. And um, I wish you much success. This has, as always, been great talking to you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks everyone for listening. Happy you joined us today. Stay tuned for some future episodes. Excellent. Thanks a bunch. Thanks for listening to the Healthcare Leadership Podcast, presented by Referral MD. If there's anything you missed from today's episode, don't worry. We take the notes for you at GetReferralMD.com slash podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, please consider pressing the subscribe button on your podcast player so you never miss a future episode. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review to help us reach even more of our peers in the healthcare space. This podcast is presented by ReferralMD the nation's leading centralized referral management platform for healthcare providers. Find out how ReferralMD can help you manage your referral process, decrease patient leakage, and improve communication between providers and patients at GetReferralMD.com. <laughs>